Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. How will life as we know it end? There were some interesting um, answers in our tag group. But if you remember, um, if you remember, there have been some, some shows, some movies that have come out that have kind of done like this whole thing about like a post-apocalyptic world. You know what I mean by that? Like a post-apocalyptic world. Kind of like Hunger Games, right? That's like the, 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 the world's about to come to an end because like humanity's almost blown itself up. Um, think about Divergent. I think about, here's a good one, Walking Dead. A lot of you are too young to remember, when I first started being a youth pastor, like everybody was obsessed with Walking Dead. They would race home from church to watch the latest episode of Walking Dead because a lot of people seem to think there's this idea that like the world would end through a zombie apocalypse. Um, so, Thankfully, doesn't seem like that's happened yet. Um, sometimes, you know, and I think it was even mentioned in our tag, Wally. Like some of us like feel like that is the that is what's gonna happen. Wally. We're gonna the forests are all gonna go away, people are gonna get fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter, and eventually junk the planet so much that we're all gonna have to go to some spaceship while this poor little guy cleans the earth up for us. Right? Um, and then of course, um, some of you are really into this. I, you, I don't know if I should tell you this, but I really tried to get into the Marvel series. I'll try it again, just for you guys. For the first time, I just, ah. so I know, like, if you had tomatoes, you'd be throwing them at me, right? Uh, but there's this idea that eventually the world's going to get so bad that we need some kind of superhuman savior to rescue us. And you can see where we're going with this one, right? Um, Really, we do need a superhuman savior to rescue us. Um, So we've been doing this series called Binge the Bible. Some of you have been with us through the entire series. Some of you, this might be your first night, interesting first night. But the first, we literally began in Genesis 1-1 at the very beginning of the Bible. And we've worked our way through. We learned how God created the earth perfect. God created human beings in his image, in his design. How we're created in a perfect world without sin. But then we learned about how through sin entering the world, through us turning our backs on God, that there was a problem. That sin became a huge problem. That because of sin, we all are enemies of God. We all deserve death and hell. But thankfully, we learned later that through God, he promised to send a redeemer. He made the promise in Genesis 3.15. He restated it to Abraham. And it was kind of like a funnel. It was kind of like getting more narrow, more narrow. We learned about Israel and how God gave them the law. And they couldn't keep it. They tried as hard as they could. But they couldn't keep God's law how God promised that he would send someone who would keep the law perfectly. He would come from the the, the line of David. He would be an Israelite. Then if you remember a couple weeks ago, Wyatt came and he brought the lesson about how Jesus came. He lived the perfect life. He died for sin and he made a way for people to be made right with God. Some of you remember last week. Remember what we talked about last week? We talked about the church. Remember the waffle? Remember the church circle? Remember, we had, we had a little waffle on stage, and, uh, and, uh, and we talked about how after Jesus left, he sent us as a church with a mission. We talked about what the church did and how we should be doing those things. Well, tonight, we have made it all the way to the end of the Bible. So if you have your Bible, turn to the end of it. Go to the book of Revelation. And as you're turning uh, to the book of Revelation, um, go to chapter 19, and as you're turning to Revelation chapter 19, when you say the word revelation to people who have been at church for a little while, 
it automatically sometimes brings up some weird thoughts and some weird emotions. You got to be careful on Google image search. I should always preface it by saying you need to be careful on Google image. But I literally just Google image search book of Revelation. And this is the first picture that popped up here. And if you can figure out what is going on in this picture, please let me know. I think I've got an idea. But it was like a very bizarre picture. And I thought, well, this is perfect because when you hear about Revelation in churches and you hear people talking about the end times, People just get, they take their weirdness up to a whole nother level sometimes. You know, you got guys, they'll bring out this like five foot long prophecy chart. You know, you've got, you've got people who are, who, you know, they're, they're sitting there watching the Chicken Noodle Network or MSNBC or Fox News, and they're trying to t- tie this event here with this verse and this event with this verse. You hear about this Antichrist, you hear about all these things, and people get, a lot of times the first reaction that people have when they hear about things to come and they hear what people have to say about Revelation is they get kind of scared. Some people get confused. Some people are like, this is very overwhelming. Um, some people kind of get depressed. They're like, well, if this is how the world's going to end, this is how the world's going to end, man, you know, why try? You know, it's like rearranging the furniture on the Titanic. Um, but, and, then, and then some people get obsessed. Some people get like this morbid curiosity with like, who's gonna die, and when are they gonna die, and it's just weird, you know, maybe you know somebody like that. It's just weird, right? So everybody kinda has different reactions to this thought of the fact that God told us what's going to happen at the end. But can I tell you that tonight, what we're gonna look at, and what I believe everybody should be looking at when they're thinking about what God tells us about how the world's gonna end, is we should be looking at Jesus, what Jesus is gonna do, because when we look at what Jesus is gonna do, especially for his people and through his people and with his people, you're gonna find hope. That's the reaction that God wants us to have when he reveals what's to come, is that we have hope. So as we jump in, and yeah, this is not easy, we're gonna be jumping into Revelation chapter 19, and if you've ever read Revelation, you realize a little bit has happened before chapter 19. Um, actually, a lot has happened. God has brought some, God has brought judgment onto the world. Um, he, 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 he's, he's allowed things to happen um, without his protective, con, protective hand, allowed um, evil people to take control. But what we see here in Revelation um, chapter 19 is we see when God returns, when Jesus returns to the world. So we're gonna start in verse number 11 of Revelation 19. I'm gonna read a little bit, and then we're gonna make a few comments. I've got my little, my little pen, hopefully this will work. Um, but what I want you to look at tonight are three R's that have to do with when Jesus comes back. So let's look at the first one here. It says in Revelation 19, I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse, and the one sitting on it was faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. So we're gonna kind of pause right there. We're gonna kind of be working, we're gonna work through the last four chapters of Revelation here. Um, You notice that there's someone here. I saw heaven open. See if I can get this to work. I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. Everybody likes horses, right? Nay. Um, The one sitting on it. There's somebody sitting on this horse and his name is, he's called Faithful and True. What we're gonna learn is that this is This is Jesus. This is Jesus coming back. Before we get into the specifics of that, what I want you to remember, the first thing I want you to remember about the future is that Jesus is coming, ready or not. You remember when you played hide and seek as kids? 
Some of you do. Anybody still play hide and seek? It's fun. We play hide and seek in the dark here, dropping nights, a lot of fun, right? And remember what you do, you count one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Ready or not, here I come. Essentially what Jesus tells us through prophecy, through the Bible is, ready or not, I'm coming. And the first thing we learn about Jesus is that he will return. I know, I can't believe I desecrated the screen by putting this guy on here. I, ha- I have to mention it because it's current events, right? It was big news. Who here hates Tom Brady like me? Just, let's just be real. Who here is sick and twisted and you're a Tom Brady fan? Let's, okay, oh, oh, how can I, you guys have to leave refuel, I'm sorry. No, but Tom Brady made big news when he said that he was coming back from his like two-week retirement, right? So, um, but what Jesus tells us, what we learn here is that Jesus will return. So what I want to do tonight, I was trying to figure out the best way to arrange this lesson. Last week we did the church circle, kind of looked like a waffle, and it kind of made things understandable. So what I want you to do tonight, if you're taking notes, is to draw another circle. See how good of a circle you can draw. That is a circle. That's a pretty good circle. I mean, that's pretty symmetrical for me. I want you to draw a line right down the middle. Then I want you to split these two sides, okay? Split two sides. Then do a vertical, horizontal line a third of the way down. I always get my verticals and horizontals mixed up. I don't know about you. And then do another line two-thirds of the way down. And you've just created for yourself your very own prophecy waffle. This is, this is very academic, as you can tell. Um, create your prophecy wobble. So remember, let's go back to the verse that we read here. Saw heaven open, behold a white horse, the one sitting on it's faithful and true. This is somebody coming out of heaven. Well, who could that be? Let's look and see. Jesus made a promise in John 14, 3 to his disciples. He said, if I go, I will prepare a place for you and I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Do you see the cause and effect? Do you see the promise here? Jesus says, if I go, I will come again. So the first thing that we need to learn in our prophecy circle, Jesus died on the cross. What did Jesus do after he died on the cross and rose again? He went, right? He said, if I go, And he went, what's he going to do? I will come again. So what we see here in Revelation 19 is Jesus making good on his promise. If I go, I'll come again. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His, we're going to get to what Jesus looks like here in a second. It's wild. He's, his, his eyes, the way he's clothed, um, the name that he has. But there's something interesting here. Some people that are with him. Look at this. It says the armies of heaven are with him. Who is part of the armies of heaven? That sounds pretty wild. That sounds pretty bizarre. We think of these big majestic angels. Maybe we think of fearsome warriors. But look at how it describes them. It says arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. That's interesting because you know how saints, that's a fancy word for people who believe in Jesus and are with Jesus, for eternity are described. They're described as saints robed in white linen, which represents the righteousness of God. So what's interesting, what's interesting is that when Jesus returns to earth, you know who's gonna be 
returning with him? Us. Let me show you a verse here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17, describes the next thing on God's calendar. If God keeps a calendar, I don't think God needs to keep a calendar. I don't think he needs like reminders saying, now is the time to come get your people. I think he knows, he's God. But the next thing on God's calendar, if God had a calendar, would be this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will ever be with the Lord. What's interesting, this word right here, caught up together, it's all one word. It's the Greek word, arpazo, which means to snatch away or to take away. It's the same word that was used to describe when in Acts, there uh, there was a, a man named Philip who was witnessing to an Ethiopian. The man was saved and baptized, and then God pretty much picked up Philip and put him like a couple hundred miles down the road in a matter of a second. It's that word, it's a snatching up. Some people use the word rapture to describe that. Some people use the word snatching up, but it comes back from this word right here. So what we learn is that God's people, one day God is gonna call for them and they're gonna be raptured up to him in the clouds. Those who have passed away who are believers in Christ, their bodies will rise Those of us who are still alive, if Jesus comes before we die, we will be caught up, we'll be translated up to the sky with him. Can you imagine just chilling at refuel and then all of a sudden refuel moves up to the sky and everybody else is with him? That's what Jesus promises. So when we go back to our prophecy waffle, Jesus died and he left. He promised he'd come again. But what we learn is that in between when Jesus dies and he comes again, I want you to draw a little church. You remember the song, this is the church, this is the steeple, open the doors and see all the people. Draw a church with, and I'm terrible at drawing these, with a little cloud around it because it says the church, those who believe in God, will be caught up together with Jesus. Now we know we can learn from some other scriptures, there are some things that Jesus is going to do with us while we're caught up with him. He's going to uh, reward us for our service for him. Um, There's talk about the marriage supper of the lamb. So we see the next thing on God's calendar, the next thing for me, and the next thing for you is to be caught up with God. Isn't that incredible? But there's, there's more, there's more. After that, Jesus is going to come with us. See, we're the armies of heaven arrayed in white linen, and we're going to come down with Jesus The question is, what's Jesus going to be like when he comes back? He promised to come back. What's he going to look like? Is he going to look like that pretty picture in your Sunday school classroom where he's like petting a lamb and he's got long flowing hair? Well, let's look and see how it describes him. It says, his eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems or crowns. Um, He has a name written that nobody knows with himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood. That means he's coming to make war. Excuse me. Um, It says, when his mouth opens up, comes a sharp sword which to strike down the nations. Do do a Google image search on that. You'll get some very interesting artist renditions that I don't know are necessarily correct. But do you see the picture of Jesus? It's a picture of the resurrected Jesus. It's the picture of the Jesus who just left the glory and the splendor and the throne of heaven and is coming down to set the earth right. And we're going to be with him. 
What we learn in uh, Matthew chapter 25 is the nations are going to be afraid when they see Jesus because they're going to know he's bringing justice and righteousness and judgment. What's the final thing? By the way, this prophecy waffle, let me get back to the prophecy waffle here. Jesus is coming back. That's the next thing that's going to happen. Jesus, when he returns, he's going to be making good on his promise that if he left, he'd come back. He's going to have us, the church, with him. And when he comes back, he's going to take care of business down here. So the next thing I want you to do on your prophecy waffle, admire my artwork, it's really good. I want you to draw a sword. Is that a sword? That's a little lopsided. Let me try. It's a Scottish something. Okay, there. (laughs) <laughs> Looks like a ring pop. Okay, well, it's a sword. Okay, so what we see, what's Jesus going to, what's the first thing that Jesus is going to do when he comes back? It says he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. He's coming to bring God's judgment. Um, it says, I saw an angel standing in the sun. And this angel, it's, it's almost, I don't want to, he's, he's kind of like the, in putting it in the words we would understand, kind of like a hype man for God. He's coming in front of God, and he's saying, um, he, he called to the birds. He's talking to the birds. He says, come to the supper of God, meaning there's getting ready to be a bunch of dead people for you birds to feast on. That's pretty much what he's saying. That's, yeah. <laughs> he's talking some smack, and he, he, God can back it up, right? Um, it says in verse 19, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth. These are the people who have risen up against, against God and against his people. They are all gathered to make war against him. What we learn in um, Revelation 16, 16, is that where they're gathering is a place, it's a valley, it's called Armageddon. It's a literal place. You can go to Israel and you can stand in that valley. And if you were here on Sunday, Chris Katalka talked a little bit about that valley. There have literally been 26 civilizations that were burned down and built on top of. It's a place that's historically been known for bloodshed. And this is where Jesus is gonna come and he's gonna take over. The beast was captured. The false prophet, captured. And here's what's wild. The rest of them, the rest of the people who were assembled against God were slain by the sword from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. So think about it. You and I, we've never fought in a war before, but we're coming down as the armies of heaven. We're with Jesus. And, you know, if I'm, with, if I'm on Jesus' and Jesus' army, you remember, I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Yeah. If I'm in Jesus' army, I'm feeling pretty good, right? I'm feeling like we're probably going to win this thing, but maybe I'll get to slice and dice a few guys on my way down. Well, spoiler alert, Jesus is going to defeat the whole army with one word. You don't have to fight. For some of you, you're like, so you're like, ah. But Jesus is going to defeat all the armies, all the nations with one word. So back to our prophecy waffle. The first thing that we learn here is that when Jesus comes back, he's going to return. He's going to return to the earth. Um, Zechariah chapter 14 says that when Jesus returns, he's going to come down on a place called the Mount of Olives. And when his feet land, the mountain is going to turn into a valley. It's going to split into everybody will know when Jesus returns. So Jesus isn't only going to return. Jesus is going to rule. How many of y'all, when you were sick, you know, you had to stay home from school, you and Judge Judy spent some time together, right? You know, you, you watched some Judge Judy, Price is Right. You know, when we think of justice, we think of Judge Judy, right? You know, she doesn't take nothing from anybody, right? And when Jesus comes back, he's coming back to rule. He's coming back to rule the world. So he rules 
kind of four different kinds of people or types of people. So turn over to Revelation chapter 20 and you're going to be able to see who Jesus is going to rule. The first thing that we learn, and here's more Matt art, but we're going to do our best, is that he's going to rule the nations. Pretty hard. If you can't draw a flag, you're in trouble, right? He's going to rule the nations. Matthew chapter 25 talks a little bit about this. It says, when the Son of Man comes in glory and the angels with him, he'll sit on his throne. Before him gather, will be gathered all the nations, and he'll separate one from another. He will judge the nations based on their treatment of people, specifically the people of Israel. So people are going to, think about all the terrible things that have been done by nations, Think about what's going on right now in Ukraine. Think about people like Hitler. Uh, Think about people who were ruthless in the way that they treated others. Justice will finally come. So he's going to judge the nations, but he's not only going to judge the nations. This is where I might not do very well. He's going to judge the world. See, that's kind of like North America, South America. Here's Europe, and there's Africa. Not too bad, right? Okay, he's going (laughs) to... Not too bad, right? He's going to judge the world. He's going to judge the world. Look, look at uh, Revelation chapter 14 here. It talks about um, the people that are, are, are judging the world. And this is wild. Okay, this is wild. He said, I saw thrones. Seated on them were those who had authority to judge. Who are these people that have authority to judge? The souls of those who have been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus. And who would not worship the beast. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So the most important thing to know is that Jesus is going to reign on this earth. And Jesus is not going to be a president. Jesus is not going to be a prime minister. Jesus is going to be a king. I know you guys like the Constitution, and I like the Constitution too, but the Constitution is not going to be in effect when Jesus comes to reign on earth. It's going to be a theocracy, and I'm glad for that because I'm not big on, I'm not big on necessarily having a king tell me what to do uh, when I'm on earth, but I am big on Jesus being the king and Jesus ruling the world, and that's exactly what's going to happen. We're going to see Jesus on the throne, but look, there are some people who get to reign with Christ, and we can kind of, through studying the Bible, piece together who these people are. The first group are the people, it says in verse 4, who had lived through this time of judgment and tribulation and stood firm in their faith for Christ. The second group of people we can see in Luke chapter 2 are that the apostles, the 12 disciples, Jesus says they will have 12 thrones to rule the tribes of Israel when Jesus comes back. And then finally, this is pretty cool, we learn through the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2, Revelation chapter 5, is that those of us who are believers in Jesus we will have positions in God's kingdom. I was like, can I reign over Barbersville? There's some things I'd like to change. Like, I've I've got a list. Like, (laughs) probably not things God would want me to do. Um, But we will get to rule and reign with Jesus when he comes back and he rules the world. The next um, group of people, the next thing, this is gonna be the most difficult art challenge of the night. You ready? Jesus is going to deal with, finally, Amen. What does that look like? Good deal. Snake. Um, Jesus is going to deal with Satan when he returns. Let's look at what Jesus does to Satan. It says, I saw an angel standing from heaven. He held a key to the bottomless pit. It's also known as the abyss. 
He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan. Look at the, three, the four ways that Satan is described. The dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, Satan. What happens to him? He's bound for a thousand years. It's really interesting. This, this word a thousand years is repeated six times. Uh, the Bible indicates this is going to be a, a period of time when God rules the world. He establishes himself as king in person of the world. He, Satan's bound for, the, 12, for a thousand years, thrown into a pit, and it's sealed over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Won't it be great when Satan is bound? You realize that Satan, Satan, even though he's been, he, he's got an expiration date because Jesus died on the cross, he's still working on this earth. He's still deceiving people. It says he might not deceive the nations. You don't think Satan is deceiving the nations? You don't think, you don't think Satan is working through all the conflict and all the injustice that's going on in the nations around the world? You bet. So for a thousand years, Satan's going to be bound. Can you imagine what life's going to be like on earth? Satan bound for a thousand years. And then if you go down uh, to verse number seven, it says, when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from prison, will come out to deceive nations. Look, as soon as he's released, he's back at his stupid Satan stuff again, isn't he? But what happens? He gathers up this army to try to overthrow Jesus. Bad plan. He tried that once. Didn't work, right? Um, Overthrow Jesus. It says the devil who deceived them was what? Thrown into the lake of fire and he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Remember in Genesis 3, 15, like seven weeks ago now, when God made this promise that he would raise up a daughter of Eve, pretty much a human, that, would, that, that, that Satan would, 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 would get his heel and that he would crush Satan's head. This is when it happens. Satan dead and gone forever. So we see that God's going to deal with Satan. And everybody said amen, right? But then there's one more group of people um, that we see God dealing with. And I'm going to draw them here. I don't draw real good stick figures. They either have ridiculously long necks or they have no necks. So, um, um, but these are, these are people. And um, this is maybe the, the heaviest part of the whole lesson. So you ready? Here it goes. Is that at the end of those thousand years, God is going to deal with people who never put their faith in Christ with the unsaved. It says, I saw a great white throne and whom who was seated on it. God is in a place of judgment. Then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. Pretty important. We'll see here in a minute. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they'd done. People who don't believe in Jesus, they have to be judged, not based on what Jesus did for them. They have to be based on what, judged based on what they did. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged according to what they'd done. Death and Hades were th- thrown into the lake of fire. If, this is what we need to remember here. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. Do you see how important this book of life is? The question, most important question is, is your name in the book of life? Have you put your faith in Jesus I've got a whole list of verses that we don't have time to get into where Jesus talks about hell, how it's a reality. It's a place that does not end. It's a place that we all deserve. But those of us who Jesus has saved because we have believed in him and trusted in him and we have faith, we don't have to go there. 
We've been forgiven. Our sins have been forgiven. We're blood bought. We're, child, we're children of the king. That's heavy. Let's go to the final. Jesus won't just return. Jesus won't just rule. Jesus will restore. I've gotten really behind in my slides here. Jesus will restore. What I love about spring, everything's being restored, right? Soon the flowers are gonna bloom and all your wonderful allergies are gonna flare up, right? It's that time of year when you like, you get in your car and you, you, you use the windshield wipers not for rain or snow, but for pollen. You know, uh, that's coming, get, get, your, get your nostrils ready, right? But we learned that Jesus will restore. This is the longest section. I don't know that we're gonna be able to make it through, but this is probably the most beautiful section that we will see. Um, Jesus will restore. The first thing that we see Jesus do, he restores the world. He creates, we're gonna see here, a new heaven and a new earth. So on your little prophecy waffle, once again, this is the earth, this is a tree, this is a cloud for heaven. That's really bad, I'm sorry, did my best. A new heaven and a new earth. What do we know about this new heaven and new earth? Well, the first is, <laughs> we'll appreciate this. There's a river of the water of life bright as crystal. That the river in heaven is going to be life-giving. Think about our river. <laughs> it's like nuclear. We got fish with like five eyes and, you know, you know weird fins. And like, like think, about, think about our rivers. Think about the river in heaven. That is a life-giving river. It's the river of life. We keep kind of looking through. We learn that humanity, humanity will be healed through the tree of life. There's a tree, remember, there's a tree in the garden, the tree of life. In heaven, there's going to be a, this new heaven and new earth, a tree of life. That There will be healing going on. Look at, I believe, in one of the most beautiful sections of scriptures in Revelation chapter 21. It tells us some realities about this new world. Death shall be no more. That stupid C word, we all hate cancer, gone. There'll be no more mourning or crying. One day your tears will end, nor pain anymore. Maybe you have a grandmother, a grandfather, father that's just like the pain that they have to deal with every day is almost unbearable. No more pain. The former things have passed away. It's an entirely new reality. It's an entirely new reality set of heaven and earth. Then as we go back to our prophecy waffle, it's, it's not, he doesn't just restore heaven and earth. He creates a new world system. It's called the new Jerusalem. This is me making a city. We'll see how it goes. How's that for a city? That looks like a city, right? Okay, yeah. Let's go, let's go back to our, our, our scripture here. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know, I, got to do, I get to do some weddings sometimes, and what I always like to do is that when the bride comes down the aisle, everybody's looking at the bride, I always kind of turn and I look at the groom, because it's awesome to watch the groom's face. It's like this, wow. This... Simile, as a bride adorned for her husband, the thought is, wow, 
The first thing people think when they see this city is going to be, wow, it's beautiful. And it's, there's, there's no doubt because look at, look at how the city is described. Keep looking in Revelation chapter 21. There's some very specific measurements. We know this is going to be a real city. This isn't just some like allegory of this new city. Like look, it's going to be 1,200 stadia. Like the, the wall is 144 cubits. Like there's some specific measurements. But look at the way that it's built. The wall's built of jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations were adorned with every kind of jewel, jasper, sapphire. I can't even pronounce all these jewels correctly. Um, All of these jewels, emerald, onyx, this one, this one, this one, topaz. um, Incredible. Think about all these jewels. The gates to enter the city, they were 12 pearls, not just like a pearl necklace, The gates were one, are all one big single pearl. The street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Remember, it's just one street. It's a street that goes right to the throne of God. Can you imagine, we'll learn here soon that Jesus is the light of the city. Can you imagine Jesus being the light of the city and his light The beams of his light are emanating and shooting out of all of those crystals and all those stones and all those sapphires. Can you imagine how beautiful heaven's going to be? That's a place that you get to go if you believe in Jesus. Just incredible. Another cool thing that we're going to learn is that God's going to give us, I want to draw this one, God is going to give us, when he returns, he's going to restore our bodies. We're going to get what's called glorified bodies. And I can see some of you middle schoolers going, oh, God already gave me a glorified body. (laughs) You know, I've been hitting the gym. Not what he's talking about. Look at how God describes the bodies that we will be given. It says, behold, I tell you a mystery. In 1 Corinthians 15, we won't all sleep, but we'll be changed in a moment, the twinkling of the eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet shall sound and the dead will be raised. That's that snatching away, remember? Imperishable. And we'll all be chained for this changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. We're going to be given new bodies, bodies that don't feel pain, but most importantly, bodies that don't have the sin nature that we have. That's going to be incredible. Why are we given new bodies? And this is where it ends. And this is probably the best part of the whole deal. Let me go to Revelation chapter 22. It says, let me find a new color here. It says, no longer will there be anything accursed. The throne of the Lamb of God will be in it, that we will worship him. And this to me is the mo- one of the most beautiful verses in all of scripture. They will see his face. A little homework assignment. Go to lmbc.org. Watch the sermon from this past Sunday when we had our guest speaker, Chris Katalka, in and talk about how it is virtually impo- it is impossible for a mortal human to see the face of God because he's so holy. Moses wanted to see God. God said, Moses, hide in this rock and you're gonna like see like this part of my body, like the back of, yeah, my back. And when Moses saw it, his face was radiating so much that people couldn't even look at it. One day, you and I, who believe in Jesus, we're gonna be face to face with God. I don't even know how to draw that. I don't even know how to describe that. So all I can say is, wow. That's an exclamation point. Wow. If there's ever been anything to live for, it's this right here. If there's ever been anything to orient your 
life around, your career choices, your college choices, your relationship choices around. It's this. It's that one day you're going to see the face of God. Don't have time to go over all the application points one by one. So here they are. I'm going to leave them up so you can write them down later. But you probably get where we're going with this. The first thing is you better make sure your name is in the book of life. Has there been a time when you put your trust in Jesus and turned to him? Do it before it's too late. The others, go to others before it's too late. You realize you can't win somebody to Jesus. You can't share the gospel with unsaved people in heaven. It's too late. Go before it's too late. Yeah, Hebrews tells us that the closer we get to the coming of God, we should gather more and more often to encourage each other. So I'm glad you're here tonight. And then, as I just talked about goals, read Revelation 22.4. Set life goals accordingly. So let's pray, and we'll get out of here. Um, God, it's been quite a journey going from Genesis to Revelation. God, thank you that those of us who know that we're saved, we have faith in you, and you have called us, saved us, made us new, that we have nothing to fear about what's ahead because we know that what's ahead is you, that the next thing, according to the Bible, for us is to be translated, to be caught up into your presence, and to see your face. God, I pray that we will live our lives accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.